0: Welcome to MoneyWeb at Midday. I'm Jeremy Mags with a brisk 30 minutes on the latest in South African and global news. We're live and then up as a podcast. We'll bring you insightful interviews with key business and political figures, prominent newsmakers and leading experts all packed into a concise and informative update. It's Friday, the 19th of January, coming up on the programme, Trick Results Day, but the real worry is the high dropout rate. We'll ask if the education minister has overstayed her welcome 15 years into the job, South Africa's deciduous fruit sector on the back foot because of transnet port problems, and another high-profile DA member quits the party. It's Matric Results Friday when tens of thousands of young people receive news that will essentially determine their future. But the hidden shame of this event is the so-called disconnect between the results and the underlying dropout crisis. And that unveils a concerning narrative, according to our next guest, that demands urgent and immediate attention. Merle Mansfield is the program director at the organization, the Zero Dropout Campaign, and joins us leading the program today. And Merle, you say the results do not paint the full picture of educational attainment in South Africa. What do you mean?
1: Essentially, when we look at what the metric pass rate is, we're looking at a very small proportion of learners who've actually made it to Grade Twelve and who've sat the exam, wrote the exam, and passed the exam. And so we are ignoring the, you know, larger percentage of learners who either got stuck in cycles of repetition, never made it to Grade Twelve, and also those who, you know, didn't um, enroll in Grade Twelve but didn't make it to actually write the exam. Mm-hmm. And we're also not looking at whether or not the number of learners who enrolled in grade twelve in 2023 is getting larger. And in fact, for between 2022 and 2023, we see that we had about 40,000 less learners enrolled in grade 12. Um, so, so, so the number that we're reporting on is really a very small proportion of what the actual. Um, amount of learners is in our education system.
0: And this uh, figure that you're talking about, or this cohort of people, runs into tens of thousands of, 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 of pupils, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we have about 13 million learners in our education system uh, between grades 1 and 12. Um, And every year when about a million learners start in grade 1, we see only about 60% of them really making it through to grade 12. And this is across the board in all provinces and largely in our quantile 1 to 3 schools. So these are our no fee and low fee schools. But even we see similar trends coming out of our fee paying schools across the country. So there is a real problem with learning is making it through the schooling journey within the allotted time. And I think understanding what's causing that is critically important because what happens is if, if school is so difficult for a child, they end up disengaging from school. And disengagement is really the biggest risk factor for dropout. Eventually the disengagement becomes so heightened There's no intervention that helps the learner maintain their grip on school and they drop out of school without going back or without going into anything.
0: Let's look at the causes in just a moment. But this is not a new problem, isn't it? It uh, begs the question as to why we've been unable to get to grips with this and whether you think the Department of Education takes it seriously enough.
1: Well, I'm really encouraged by the fact that this year the the department in the statement in the technical report has made throughput numbers available that they've been talking about throughput in a very different way than we've had previously. When our campaign started becoming public facing in 2019, we were still fighting the battle around problematizing dropouts and saying that throughput should be reported, you know. Mm. So I think there's been some improvement in the narrative in the country. And I think that there's been a lot of public call for making this problem really visible. And so I see that happening. But we have a long way to go in terms of actually tracking dropouts. Out intentionally at a school level, we have lovely data systems, and I think we need to just intentionally tweak how we are reporting and collecting data to be able to look at an individual learner's journey through school so that we can tell. Because at the moment, we can't tell if the learners who are repeating are the same learners who are dropping out. We can't tell if a learner moves between provinces and goes to different schools where they are. You know, so there's a lot of little nuances in, in the way we are collecting data and the way reporting on learners that's not giving us the full picture. And so, if we really really wanted to know you know what's happening with learners in our country that's the, the the best place for us to start
0: what's your general sense though as to how we find ourselves in this position is this just simply poor teaching
1: i think that it is a culmination of many factors i think in fact we have some of the most dedicated teachers in our country i've seen some teachers in very very difficult circumstances in schools doing the best that they can under the conditions that they have. So I don't think that we should squarely place the blame on teachers. I also think that many of our young people have very difficult lives. They are in situations where they are food insecure, even sometimes, uh, you know, don't have homes that are operationally okay for them to be able to learn in. So we have environments that are not really conducive for producing teaching and learning. And then we have a very, you know, a strong focus on kind of only the learners that make it to grade 12. So there's no support in between. We have this fixation even in the media. On the first day of school, we're showing all the kids that start school and then we show all the kids that finish school. And everybody that's stuck in the middle kind of gets forgotten until they, you know, get to that stage. And so I think really shifting our focus to understanding understanding how we are managing to get learners to grasp foundational literacy and numeracy for example how are our grade fours performing when they go into intermediate phase before they're going to senior phase what does that look like are learners getting to grasp the concepts that they're needing to grasp what are the psychosocial issues we're dealing with how are we you know equipping our learners to make life choices around substance abuse reproductive health Because all of these things play into how they are engaging with school. And so I think the more uh, we can focus as a country on comprehensively educating children and not just pushing them them through the system, the better we're going to see our results looking, the better we're going to be seeing attainment, and also the better we're going to be seeing young people who exit the schooling system ready to enter life.
0: Mel Mansfield, thank you very much for joining us. MoneyWeb at Midday. For all your up-to-date stories. All right, let's stay with education now. And the Build One South Africa Party is today calling for the removal of the education minister in the wake of the metric results announcements and has launched an online petition to that effect. Borsa leader Musi Maimani says that she has failed to deliver quality education that, in his words, is market-relevant and globally competitive. Maimani is with us now. And first of all, uh, Musi Maimani, the minister says she has achieved a record high pass this year. You have a different view, though.
2: Well, The proof of any successful education system is the ability for its youth to be able to funnel into the economy and find work. And furthermore, the percentage of young people who are able to further their studies at a tertiary institution. When you look at those numbers, you realize that two out of three of our young people are unemployed. It is common cause that only 41% of even the results she announced yesterday reflect that it's only that percentage of young people who are able to qualify for university entrance and she's maintained this rather bizarre 30% pass mark for subjects which means that it gives her the option to continuously look at make it seem as though more and more young people are passing but in fact the bar is now being lowered to the point that at 30%, you're deemed proficient for a subject. Mm. The reality in this country is that if you've got money, your education system is good. And if you don't, invariably, you end up with fairly poor education.
0: You talk about the need for delivering a market-relevant education. What is that?
2: We can all appreciate education for its intrinsic value. So we know it's good for kids to study and learn. But at this point in time, our education system is not linked to any economic purpose so our kids for argument's sake don't have digital technical skills so they end up not being employable furthermore they end up not being competitive at an international market if we look at countries that have moved up in economic and GDP numbers one of the fundamental things that they do is they focus on the skilling of their young people. So if you look at Japan, South Korea, you'd quickly realize that many of them have skilled their young people to a point where those economies have grown. Our economy is struggling because our young people, equally so, are battling to get the right skills through the education system. So it has to be an education system that links them to market opportunities.
0: So what type of subjects are you talking about?
2: So effectively, we've got to naturally emphasize STEM subjects, We've got to look at what we do around technical skills so that our young people are competent, so that we can produce more engineers, produce more young people who are able to work in our economy. And furthermore, how do we, in a, what is now soon becoming a fifth industrial revolution, allow for our young people to be encoding and introducing those subjects more and more? When you look at the current metric results of young people, many of them qualify for what is equivalent of a bachelor's in arts degree. And I have no problem with arts degrees, but many of the subjects that are linked there are often not easily translatable to economic issues.
0: I'm wondering, as I have this conversation with you, whether just going for the national minister isn't oversimplifying things. Uh, It's not just a curriculum issue. It's also about the problem with the quality of teachers. It's about the infrastructure under which many pupils have to work in. And often many of the problems are also of a provincial nature. Um, Are you not simply aiming your ire at the wrong person?
2: No, I think that... You know, when you compare education ministers globally, you can then realize that everything, everything starts with leadership. And at this point in time, NG accepted the jobs for cash report, which was tabled. That meant that the unions had captured the education sector effectively and were appointing principals. She did not act on that score. The same minister who has been there for 15 years has really presided over Underfunding on infrastructure build, a delay when solutions were put before her about how do we integrate blended learning solutions, which allows for technology and real time teaching to be in place. She delayed that. And ultimately, even on issues like annual national assessments, so that we keep continuously improving the quality of teaching that takes place, it's been the same minister who's overseen that. So, we of course recognize the fact that she's not only the only one accountable but she's certainly the leader of the department and i have to challenge the notion that says that a, a and put forward that a new minister of education would be able to look at issues and be able to transition education and give leadership to the provincial MECs so that we get an education that's competent it, it we cannot at this point accept even on other reports, let alone our own self-congratulatory metric results, but accept reports that say 8 out of 10 of our children cannot read. And when it comes to polls and international benchmarking on maths and science, we're still lower in the rankings relative to international benchmarks and other countries even in Africa.
0: What do you make of the idea that uh, the Gauteng Premier is floating today, that uh, maybe there should be one metric exam and that should be the IEB exam?
2: We have a lot to do to achieve that. And ultimately, it's about pulling up the standards in the National Senior Certificate and the quality of teaching. The reality of it is that when you compare the bachelor's pass marks in the IEB sector, you realize that they're far higher, and often many of them, are combined with international benchmarks. Uh, I think the idea is premature. Over a long period of time, we should standardise that. But at this point in time, as things stand, we need to improve our national senior certificate.
0: In conclusion, what do you make of the spate of resignations from your old party?
2: Look, the DA itself as an organisation faces these difficulties, especially on issues such as what is going on in the Middle East. And I certainly think I've watched many of them. I realize that many people, particularly people of color, have found it very uncomfortable to remain within an organization that at some point are useful for certain things. And when they express an opinion, then they're no longer suitable to be in the in, in the party. And clearly, the leadership culture there, which Mr. Kachalia himself states, has become one that's dictatorial and often Produces a high level of toxicity within the organization.
0: Is Khaled Kachalia going to join your party?
2: <laughs> uh, at this point in time, I work with people like Ayanda who are, have not been in politics, new talent. I'm very careful not to try and poach politicians from other parties. We're really trying to build with all South Africans.
0: Musi, Mayamani, thank you very much. You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday. Well, let's move now from politics to South Africa's fruit industry and the deciduous fruit sector seems to be in trouble. Problems with equipment breakdowns and a lack of maintenance have resulted in backlogs and delays with fruit producers starting their peak trading season, I understand, behind schedule. I want to give you an important perspective on this uh, sector. It is a vital component of the uh, South African economy and particularly in the Western Cape. Anton Rabi joins us from HortGro. It's the body, the company, the organization that uh, broadly represents the industry. Anton, the congestion then and the equipment breakdowns that I've referred to at the Cape Town port specifically, what impact is this having on the industry?
3: Good afternoon. Uh, now the, the impact is, uh, is disastrous. Um, fruit quality... Uh, loss of market slots, uh, programmed fruit that's not arriving on time, uh, on, on spec uh, in the markets is, 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 is a huge, huge uh, crisis, really. Um, so there's a direct loss of income, and, and, and that will have an in- impact on our growers' uh, profitability, their sustainability. Uh, no doubt also on jobs. Our rural communities will suffer. So yeah, it's a it, it's a crisis, and uh, and and we really need uh, Transnet to up the ante.
0: This is not a, a new crisis, though. This has been in position for quite some time.
3: Absolutely, uh, this is actually the fourth year that we are are really battling. Um, and ironically, Cape Town Port was was one of the one of our best up to five six years ago. Uh, and then it uh, sort of deteriorated over time and uh, and there's a, a, a number of reasons for that. Uh, obviously wind in Cape Town is a given, but uh, it has become an excuse. Uh, but uh, the equipment uh, failure, um, uh, breakdowns, uh, uh, long lead times with uh, with maintenance getting getting, Uh, equipment back uh, on track Uh, labor over the over the the festive period was a huge huge problem so uh, yeah it's nothing new Uh, we have engaged with transnet at the various levels uh, strategic management level operationally Uh, we continue with those discussions even on a on a daily basis Uh, but at this stage uh, the vessels are just not uh, getting through the system and uh, and we are seeing uh, a, a congestion that uh, that we have to uh, move fruit elsewhere, um, and we are looking uh, at at different options. Uh, Eastern Cape, even Wolfers Bay, is used by by some uh, so-called specialized reefer vessels to transship and move uh, fruit uh, to other ports. Uh, but this all is 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 uh, costing additional. Uh, uh, expenses to to the industry and that will obviously have, have a direct impact Let's go back
0: to the, this wind issue that Transnet keeps bringing up I, I don't understand it it's not as though it's just started blowing in Cape Town uh, why now is this a problem do you think?
3: No, uh, w- last year uh, we've seen uh, sort of uh, the last four or five years that was a sort of a a, a high with regard to, to windbound hours but uh, I mean, it's it's been a problem since Jan van Riebeek arrived, um, and uh, and and it's it has become a sort of a soft uh, excuse. Uh, but uh, it's it's it, it needs to be managed. It can be managed. Uh, Cape Town Port is not the only port in the world that's got uh, wind uh, sort of challenges. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's just an inability and an inexperience, probably. Um, and personally, I believe that uh, that we need to get some. Uh, uh, international expertise in there, uh, which have been offered, uh, but uh, that has been up to now been declined. So uh, we are are also opening that line of discussion again.
0: It sounds as though you're not getting the answers that you need and the assistance that you require from Transnet. You sound very frustrated at this point.
3: Yeah, I, 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 I think I'm, I'm just sort of a, a, an example of many, many people that's that's not only just frustrated, but, uh, but I mean, I've, I've, some of our growers are really close to panicking. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think the problem is uh, Transnet makes all sorts of promises, uh, but they, they don't stick to those promises. They don't even stick to their own self-imposed uh, deadlines. Um, for example, uh, there was some uh, of these rubber-tired gantries that's been brought in from LA. That's been uh, some, with some assistance from one of the shipping lines um, that has arrived uh, in the first week of December. And and uh, there's seven of them, and I think up to now only two of them have been sort of brought into into operations. Uh, and and the promise was that that would have been done by the end of December. So uh, it's uh, it's it's highly problematic. And uh, be- because of the, of, of the delays over Christmas and New Year, which uh, was also promised that it will not happen, that people will be uh, uh, on point and they will be on the job, uh, it did not materialize. And now we sit with the consequences uh, with a peak season now uh, for our stone fruits, uh, table grapes. Um, and I, I cannot see how that is going to be caught up uh, in the next two to three weeks. So we will have to make other plans to move uh, product elsewhere. What are global customers saying? Yeah, well, we, we already see some of them uh, indicating that they're cancelling programs. Uh, our, our reputation as a, as a, a reputable, uh, consistent supplier of high-quality produce have taken a knock. Um, and we will have to uh, address that uh, in some, some other way. Uh, the only only way that I I can see is that there must be some some private operators in in our terminals. Uh, that's the, the the global sort of uh, trend um, with the government owning uh, ports uh, and and being the landlord. But I'm I'm afraid. Uh, the private uh, operate, uh, operators will be a, 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 a much uh, needed uh, solution.
0: It's a, a very difficult, tricky, and complex situation. But has Hortgro at this point been able to quantify, uh, in rand terms, either what the losses are so far or what the potential losses could be if no restitution is uh, is, is is agreed to?
3: Yeah, it's it's fairly difficult to, to quantify the loss last year. We we calculated it was at least a billion a billion rand for our for, for the fruit types that's uh, within HortGrow, grow that which is apples, pears, and the various stone fruits. I believe that uh, the table grape guys uh, lost a similar sort of uh, sort of amount. But what we are looking now is 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 we don't have much of a choice, but we need to look at some sort of a legal uh, recourse. Um, on, a, on a vessel by vessel basis um, uh, we, uh, we've just uh, seen a, a, a shipment to the USA uh, where, where fruit will be 42 years old when the ship docks um, we are uh, we, uh, seeing a, another vessel now to Europe where, where the fruit will be between 40 and 50 days old when the vessel docks there uh, and, and it's fairly easy to quantify on a vessel to, by vessel basis so, so that is starting to happen um, and then we are also looking at, at other re, uh, recourse uh, with regard to possible class action, which might be uh, somewhat tricky. But, uh, I mean, we just cannot uh, aff- afford uh, a failing transnet to put our whole country uh, at risk. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's the type of things that we are looking at um so we will we will continue to to quantify uh, we will continue to engage uh, with with Transnet on a daily basis um ensure there's better communication with uh, with uh, pack houses uh, cold stores and the logistical service providers and uh, see how we can further assist with with equipment uh, with mechanics and, and 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 so on because we just have to get through this we 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 don't have, have much of a choice
0: Anton Drabi, thank you very much indeed from Hortgra. You're listening to Moneyweb at midday. The Democratic Alliance has accepted the resignation of Khaleb Kachalia as a member of Parliament and of the party, and that's effective immediately. It comes just days after Kume Ramu-Lifo announced that he'll be joining the uh, Rise Mzanzi party. He was also a senior party member and spoke to us earlier. I want to talk now to Ongama Mtimka, who is a respected political commentator. And firstly, these uh, moves that we've seen, are they... Pre election musical chairs, do you think, or something deeper and perhaps more systemic?
4: I think that it's a combination of two things. One, internal political differences, whose consequences are augmented by the fact that we are now in an election period. So the differences over the Israel Palestine fallout, for example, are legitimate concerns. And uh, are they, the optics about them, though, what is being said as part of the process of leaving the party. I think that's where the electioneering comes in.
0: So Khaleb Kachalia talks about, and I quote, a growing dysfunctional, undemocratic and authoritarian tendency within the party. That's quite an indictment. It's also not the first time that we've heard that.
4: Yes, but uh, two things again there we know that recently there's been a fallout over the israel palestine matter the da finds itself on israel palestine in the same position that the anc was in on russia ukraine the party is uncomfortable about uh, uh, speaking on the matter lest it upsets its core constituencies and as a result of that there was a fallout i think that story has to be stated that that's the reason now what Khaled kachano is doing in uh, painting a broader picture and the many issues that he cites he's doing the very same thing that he was criticizing Pumzile fandam of doing of uh, once one fails to achieve their political objectives within the party they leave and cites a whole lot of reasons beyond what the issue was that actually resulted in them making a the decision to leave
0: It's very difficult for these big political parties that are essentially broad churches to speak cohesively about big global issues. This kind Mm. of thing is always going to come back and haunt them, isn't it?
4: It does. So I think that, by the way, there is nothing wrong with having established positions and alliances in the international order. What is a challenge is to not have enough behavioral complexity to be able to recognize when a supporter is committing when a supported country in this case israel is committing atrocities even at the same time that it's being supported so the AMC, for example when it was being criticized of its seemingly pro russia stance or refusal to condemn russia on the matter of ending the war it took demonstrable steps to try and intervene in that conflict in order to show that it was not sticking its head in the sand. And I think that that's the approach that the Democratic Alliance is failing to take. One that continues to support Israel as a matter of political choice, but at the same time not sticking its head in the sand, as the state faces allegations of cross-human rights violations.
0: Moving beyond the Kachalia issue, the decision by him and others to leave the Democratic Alliance, and I guess for that matter people also leaving the ANC, for instance, is also a sign, is it not, of the growing attraction of smaller parties or yeah. is this simply a political expediency?
4: I like that, Jeremy. So here's the thing. I add to the point that... There's a fallout in a party, and it's not election period. Chances are that differences are going to be managed and are going to go over that era. When it's an election period, prospects of continuing to be involved in party politics remain, and the the, the period one has to wait after leaving their main vehicle that they are using, that is in the form of a party, (laughs) becomes shorter and therefore the propensity to you know resign once there are differences within political parties becomes higher because there are alternatives that are coming and the time it's going to take between uh, leaving this one party and maybe coming going back into parliament again is not going to be as long as resigning in year one mm-hmm. of a new term of an of administration
0: if you look at the smaller parties, both on the left and the right, and I guess in the center as well, which do you think are starting to find more traction?
4: I think, in equal measure, both uh, Horizons and, the, and Action SA uh, have made some significant uh, traction. Musumai money is taking along, but I think that the lack of an organizational infrastructure that supports him beyond the centre is going to cripple him if he doesn't address that issue very quickly. I think with um, Shaluva, uh, I think it's lagging far behind and I think that there would need to be a rethought about the viability of having it as a political party that can even succeed in getting a seat in the Gauteng provincial legislature.
0: Thank you very much for joining us. And that's where we are going to leave it for this Friday. Other stories on our radar before we go. An Airlink aeroplane has skidded off a wet runway while landing in Mozambique. Uh, No injuries, we understand, have been reported. And a senior Houthi official has promised safe passage for Russian and Chinese vessels through the Red Sea, where the Iranian-backed Yemeni militant group has been carrying out attacks on commercial ships in solidarity with Palestinians in Gaza. Money Web at Midday. We are live at noon weekdays. We're up as a podcast. Have a good weekend. Thank you for listening and goodbye.
4: Listen to the daily live stream of MoneyWeb at Midday or download episodes on MoneyWeb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify or follow MoneyWeb news on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.